And the pitch. The runners go 3-2 to T. Swing and a long one. There it is, folks. Baseball history. A second Grand Slam home run for Fernando Tatis in the third inning in Los Angeles, California. And the Cardinals lead it 11 to 2. Wow. Hi, this is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Welcome to episode 21 of Breaking Balls. I'm your host, Emily Nyman. We're here with my co-host, John Snyder. You can find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. Or if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call, 631-820-7377. This has been a pretty wild week for Yankees Nation. We started out at as high as we possibly can get by absolutely demolishing the Red Sox in four games straight. Red Sox had a very tough week. They went 0-8 against the Tampa Bay Rays and the Yankees. So it was a great series. The Yankees played really well despite having some injuries. You know, Judge was down, Stanton was down, but everyone else looked good. They picked up the slack just as they did last year. Next man up mentality. Then the Rays came into town and it was a little bit of a different story. The Yankees dropped three straight. It was the first game that they had lost at Yankee Stadium, actually. This season, I believe, was the first game of the series. And then they proceeded to drop the next two. In pretty horrible fashion, today, Paxton had a no-hitter through five innings, was looking strong, or through maybe four innings, first few innings. I was watching while I was at work, so tough to follow when you're, you know, quote-unquote, working. But everything looked good until it didn't. And then he fell apart, which, of course, begs the question of, did he hurt himself? Was he not feeling that great? And it turns out he wasn't feeling that great. He went for an MRI after he got pulled. So we'll see what the results of that are. Glaber also came up lame, running out of a ground ball the first. He uh, hurt his hamstring. So the waterfall of injuries continue for the Yankees. Fortunately, the silver lining is that our, our golden boy, Aaron Judge, who even said himself that he didn't think he should have went on the IL, but you understand they do these things so they can make roster moves because if they just sit him, they can't bring someone else up. And our depth is such that Boone wants to give people a shot and why keep him on the roster if you're not going to plan on playing him, bring someone in, then bring him back in 10 days. So he is coming back on Saturday, which is the 10th day of his IL stint. And before I get into this next piece about why we may not be seeing him still on Saturday, let me introduce my esteemed co-host. John, how are you? I'm sad. Why are you sad, John? I'm sad because of the Mets, M. Why else would I be sad? No, yeah, Mets... But why? (laughs) Well, uh, where do we want to start? Do we want to start with DeGrom losing a start because he was injured? Or do we want to start with getting swept by Philadelphia? Or do we want to go right for the jugular and talk about how I'm supposed to be watching the Mets game right now and instead I'm watching the, what is this, the Pirates and the Indians? Let's talk about why you're watching the Pirates and the Indians, because it does couple in with why Judge will be off the IL come Saturday, but we still won't get to see him. Yeah, so uh, the Mets had two positive cases of COVID in the organization, one player and one staff. So it finally happened. We're here. Um, I can't help but go back to, you remember when we had those opt-outs with Cespedes and Stroman? I was kind of questioning. It's like, well... Are the protocols really being followed that closely or slash are they that good? And now it seems to have entered the clubhouse. So it's pretty not funny because it's a pandemic and COVID. So it's a little bit of like a what is it? Schadenfreude? That's Schadenfreude. 
Schadenfreude, yeah, and in, in a little enjoyment at the misfortune of others, yeah. Or, but not at the misfortune of the Mets, and not even at the mis. Actually, that's the wrong term because it's sort of like a fuck you to the people that were like, "Oh, Cespedes just doesn't want to play." But it's like, mm, did he opt out right in time? And same thing with Stroman. Like, oh, Stroman, he, you know, he just got his money and and his free agency and ran. And it's like, uh, yeah, they both fucking ran out of there as fast as they could because COVID was literally on the clubhouse's heels. Yeah, how smart do those decisions look now? You know, everything else aside, they they dodged a bullet in this respect, hundred percent. Or it's like they dodged the bullet because they saw it coming, and they were like, "This team is not doing what they have to do to keep us safe. These guys are not doing what they have to do. People are going out or whatever else, and I'm getting the fuck out of here." That's probably more accurate that they they saw it coming, and you know what? Maybe to their credit, they just didn't want to. I could see them not wanting to say anything on their way out because then then that kind of throws their teammates under the bus like, oh, so they're sticking around in bad conditions. So, you know, in some respects, they kind of look even better now because they just kind of want to quietly like, okay, you guys do your thing. I'm not going to be involved. And now it looks like they were the smart ones. It's true. And I I feel like this does give Cespedes a little bit more credit to what you were saying in that all he said was, I just don't feel like they are doing enough to keep me safe. He didn't elaborate further than that. He didn't throw anyone under the bus. He just said what he needed to say for his own sake and his own reputation, which didn't actually help save his reputation because the fans already hated him. But now maybe it's like, oh, maybe this guy was onto something. Yeah, who knows? And, you know, so now no game tonight. And then tomorrow we were supposed to start the Subway series. So at the very least, game one has been postponed. Fortunately, um, if we're looking on a plus side of all of this, the Mets haven't missed any time yet. We've played 26 games in 27 days, I think is the figure. So hopefully we won't have any problems fitting in, you know, some double headers with the Marlins and with you guys um, should be easy enough to make up. But, you know, I mean, on from a Mets fan standpoint, we had just taken two from the Marlins in a row. It was starting to feel like, OK, after that debacle in Philly, maybe things were turning around a little bit and uh And now this hit, you know, I mean, I guess you can't be surprised in this season. You know, it could happen to anyone, but there's also an element of like, it's the Mets, you know, (laughs) I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say that it was a sure thing, but I would almost feel like things were not in order if like we had gone through this whole season and a few teams had missed time and it didn't happen to the Mets. It's somehow a Mets thing to happen. I don't know. Well, at that point, then the Mets would just be blamed. They'd be like, the Mets didn't get it. That's a little bit suspicious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is actually more normal. It's par for the course. Less questions are going to be asked now. It's like, okay, the Mets got it. We all knew that was coming. Let's move on. And not to even put, because using the term silver lining is uh, a bit in bad taste as far as this conversation is concerned. But for the Yankees, anyway, obviously, you'd, I would prefer, the team would prefer to play and have no one be sick and have no team be in a situation where they could be possibly down with an outbreak or whatever. With that being said, people, the Yankees do have a bit of an injury issue right now. So the time off, I'm not even hating that much. Would I love to have Yankee baseball over the weekend? Of course. But you know what? They're not the ones with COVID, so I'm I'm glad in that respect. Not that I am happy the Mets are. It's not like a better them than the Yankees situation. It's just what it is. So the guys are on the IL. They get a few more days rest and a few more days to come back and play. And who knows? Like, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I'm not even sure how that works. I mean, these days still count. But as far as the IL days, because, you know, when you put someone on like the 10 day, they have to stay on the IL for 10 days. So do these days still count? towards that i would imagine that they don't then skip these or does it only count when a game is played uh well i think you could ask the same question like if a game gets rained out 
that probably you it wouldn't count against that's not their fault right that's still time served i would think yeah, that's true. And speaking of the Mets, uh, we were watching a little bit of the Mets last night when John and I, or not last night, rather, a few nights ago when we had our production meeting, and they were playing the Marlins. And it was really, really nice for my nostalgia purposes, and also just to see him still killing it was Cano is on some sort of fucking tear. He, was his OPS still over 900? Uh, it's 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 up there, and I know... <laughs> I'm, I, I only know the traditional stat offhand. I know he has the second highest batting average in the NL right now behind Blackman. Um, I could be off by a day or two on that, but as of a couple days ago, that's the case. Yeah, he's tearing it up right now, dude. This is like all of last year. We were looking for a little bit of this. I feel like he's making up for lost time or something right now. And I have to be honest, because I saw someone on Twitter had posted a stat about Starlin Castro that he, at the this was a few days ago, so obviously it could have changed, that he had the highest... OPS out of all second basemen in the National League, and it was only like 794 or something. So then, of course, the contrarian in me was like, I need to prove this wrong. So I went and looked up Cano because I knew that Cano had been doing really well. So I was like, you know what? Before I mention Cano, let me go see what his splits are in terms of where he's been playing and spending most of his time. So I wanted to make sure that of the, you know, 19 games that they had played at that point, that it wasn't like, oh, 18 have been a DH and only one have been a second baseman. But I was actually surprised to learn that at that time, the majority of his starts had been at second base. So even with the DH, they have him still playing second base, which I thought was a pretty interesting move on the Mets part. And it's still working out. You think his old ass would get exhausted or some shit. Well, you know what? It's a classic case of the Mets have a problem where when they have a veteran player that they're arguably overpaying, they're going to play them no matter what, right? And it was only when Cano got hurt that Luis Guillorme got pulled up. And Guillorme has also been tearing it up. And he's a better defender than Cano is. Also allowed some more space for Andres Jimenez, who's been killing it. So it was only when the Mets' hand was forced and some of these guys were, in Guillorme's case, brought up and Jimenez's time given more playing time that, yeah, then Cano is taking more of like a DH kind of role because these kids are just better in the field, you know? Not that, don't get me wrong, Cano has made some plays that have impressed me. Like, you know, looking at the way he moves now, sometimes you think, you know, he's clearly lost a step. Not as many steps as you may think at times. He has, he flashes the leather occasionally, man. But again, it's the Mets classic problems. Like, well, we're already paying this guy. We're going to put him out in the field when you got some guys on the bench that are arguably going to do the job better as the second baseman as opposed to the DH. Well, it's really funny that you brought up his salary because, of course, you know, Hap has been, uh, if you'll forgive the pun, hapless as a pitcher for the Yankees. Yeah, I'll forgive it. Thank you. He's been really shitty. I mean, they brought him in just to sort of play a role, you know, a back-end starter or whatever. So he was never expected to be any sort of ace material. So when he, like, completely bombs out there, half of me, you expect him to do a little bit better. But the other half of me is like, what else does everyone expect? Like, when people flip out. So, of course... Was that Michael Bluth? Well, I don't know what I expected. I don't know what I expected. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So people flipped out the other day. And then, of course, all the trade stuff starts coming in and someone was proposing I think it actually was Bo Sheck Bo he listens to the show I think so hopefully he hears this he was proposing a trade of like Hap and I think I I can't remember who else Andrew Har or someone else to the Mets for Cano and I was what? like why the fuck what are the Yankees gonna do with Cano it was sort of like to I guess because you know 
Stanton and Judge are injured, but it's like they didn't have their legs cut off. They're going to be back. Yeah. And Judge is going to be back in like 48 hours and Stan's going to be back next week. So besides that, also, he makes like 20 million a year. And and Bo was like, oh, well, you know, it depends on how much the, the Mets would be willing to pay. And it's like, well, what are the Mets going to do with Hap? Also, why right. would they trade the best player on their team right now for the worst player on our team? Like, why would anyone do this trade? And then what are we going to do when those players come back for the Yankees just have Cano Cano's going to agree to a trade where he's going to sit on the bench we're going to have a 20 million dollar bench player right yeah so what's the long term strategy there it's, it's a nostalgia tour basically also before we move on with this I I kind of skipped over this by talking about the Red Sox being pretty horrible so last week you know they went 0-8 they got swept by the Rays they got swept by the Yankees and then they went back up to Boston to play the Phillies so in the first game of that series they went into the top of the six winning 4-2. And before this, during that horrible stretch, J.D. Martinez was quoted as saying just that, you know, he's tired of losing, which of course it's like, yeah, no shit. None of these guys want to lose, but they've been losing in awful fashion, just getting their ass beat in. Their pitching is terrible. They had some so, streak of like eight runs allowed for like, I don't even know how many straight games. It was nuts. Well, dude, I got the opportunity to make like the meme of the fucking year with oh, yeah. they, their run differential was negative 34. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I got to take <laughs> Big Poppy and then just put the negative sign in front of it. Oh, it was great. That was excellent. So then this game, they go into the top of the six against the Phillies and they're winning 4-2, which now you're getting into the later innings. So things are starting to look up maybe. Well, don't blink because then by the seventh inning, they were losing 10 to four. And right after that, mysteriously, JD Martinez comes out of the game for quote unquote dehydration. And people were like, <laughs> my friend Nina was like, oh, he's opting out. He's he's out of the game with dehydration and he's just done for the year. But he did not doubt, not yet. He's sticking with it, I guess. But it was just such an obvious like, I'm done. I'm not playing anymore. Yeah, dehydration is like of all the things you could possibly like, you know, blame a medical staff for. It's like what they didn't have enough Gatorade out. Like, <laughs> at what point is that on the player? <laughs> yeah, the, the Gatorade guy was he didn't make the uh, bare bones personnel crew at Fenway. Yeah, it's like when you woke up that morning, it's like, hey, you know, you have a professional baseball game you have to play today, right? Like, you you might want to have a maybe a glass of water before you head to the park. John Henry, the president of the Red Sox, he's or the owner rather, he's like, no water. Water is only for winners, like Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Coffee's for closers only. Coffee is for closers. You gotta earn it. <laughs> All right, so actually, just like weeks past, we have been getting a ton of voicemails and text messages. So we're gonna jump into them pretty early this week. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Our first voicemail this week is from a former teammate of mine and very dear friend, Sam Fontenelle. Hey, Em, it's Tammy Fonz. Uh, first off, I love the podcast. It's so good, super brilliant, super funny. I'm a huge, huge fan. Um, I wanted to first, uh, don't yell at me, I'm a few episodes behind. And by a few, I mean like half, but I'm catching up. I just finished the analytics episode, and I was super curious to hear yours and John's thoughts around the following. So I, I was listening to it. I think analytics is really fascinating. I think it's a, such a, just a dope fucking science. And I wonder... Is it possible that analytics are ever going to get so good and so detailed with all the exposure that we'd have to them as fans? Like, is it possible that one one day or there will come a time where it sort of takes the essence out of, like, the any given day? You know, that, like, undying hope that I have as a Mets fan that, you know, some great bullshit is going to happen and, you know, it won't be so predicted that I'm going to lose. 
pretty consistently. I, just, I recognize it makes me sound like an old guy screaming, get off my lawn. I think Sammy got cut off there. Sammy, so great to hear your voice. Thank you so much for calling in. And no, I don't think that's going to be a problem because as of now, as it stands, and obviously, like you just heard from our stats guru on that episode, Max Greenfield, who was just blamed today for all the ills that befall baseball, all the stat (laughs) nerds, and he was at the center of that conversation. But part of it is that they're always evolving and they're never done with the stats. So with that being said, a lot of the analytics, they're they're, they're not predictive. And that's sort of what a lot of analytics people try to hammer in, that there are predictive stats and there are predictive analytics, but not all of them are. A lot of them are cumulative up to this point. So they just give you a picture of what a player or what a team has done, but it doesn't necessarily predict what they're going to do. And that's the thing. You can't, not to quote the, uh, the great John Sterling, you can't predict baseball. So... There's really, you, you can try to predict and you can use stats and you can use analytics as best you can to give a picture of what's going to happen. A lot of times that will most likely happen because of this large sample size is that, okay, this player or this team has shown that this is what they're going to do during this time. So chances are they're going to follow that same pattern. But that still doesn't change the day-to-day of baseball and why they need such a large sample size is that it's really volatile. So when you have small sample sizes, it's volatile. So no, any given day, any team can win. I mean, we see it in this season where the Orioles were like on a tear where they won like, you know, six or seven games straight, despite the fact that they are a super shitty team and everyone knows it and even they know it. Yeah, I think there's also an aspect uh, to whatever extent stats are predictive, with baseball, you're predicting a game of failure, right? Like success is rarer in baseball than failure. So I think even to whatever extent it is predictive, if you're predicting that a guy is going to do something like two out of 10 times or three out of 10 times, for example, that still doesn't leave any element when he's up there like, oh, yeah, no, this time he's going to get that hit or this time is going to make it happen. Again, it's a game of failure. You know, if you, if you do something three times out of 10, you're successful in baseball. So trying to predict something with such a low success rate uh, I think, as you said, they're, they're more descriptive. You know, it's more telling you what's going on than uh, than it is kind of influencing in any way what's going on or how you're viewing what's going on in real time. Exactly, because even like that three out of 10, you know, oh, like if you get a hit three times out of every 10 at-bats over the course of your career, that makes you a Hall of Famer. Right. And that's true. But like you said, guys, that's over, that's looking back, right? So that's the same thing as like the cumulative analytics that it's looking back and giving you an average because how many times have we heard, even Hall of Famers, where they, they've gone, you know, zero for like 23 at-bats, sure. where that's obviously blowing that three out of 10 out of the water. And that's because a three out of 10 isn't in a straight line. It's turning around and looking behind us. And this is what they've done over the course of everything that's now in the rear view. Right. Sam, thanks again for calling in. Thank you for listening to the show. You're the best. All right. And now our second voicemail is from one of our favorites, Bubak. Hey, what up, John? Am it's Bubak. Um, there is no recipe for a for a egg sandwich with mustard. You don't get get recipes out of here. You don't need them. You just gotta get you just mustard, yellow mustard. Should have yellow mustard with a nice runny egg. Maybe throw a little mayonnaise on there. Oh, so good, so good. What up? It's Bubak again. Uh, doubling up uh, for week two here. This is, uh, I'm going to call out another caller, Scipio, at Scipio2. Um, what the hell, dude? Gary Sanchez doesn't work 
He doesn't. He doesn't want to get better. Are you fucking kidding me, bro? Come on, dude. He went from uh, he's doing the one knee thing now this year because uh, who is it? Tanner Swanson, catching coach, kind of converted him over to that. That's called that's working on something that's changing your changing your game, trying to get better, dude. Probably one of the, in my opinion, best catcher in the league. Yeah, he's got some ball. What last night, uh, the Red Sox game, game two or game three of the Red Sox series. He had two balls in uh, the ninth inning that went past him. Both of those, uh, can we agree, those were not on him. Those were not on Gary. Britton, you know, spiked both of those balls and they went past him. We still won. So what? Gary Sanchez is the best catcher in the league. You want to disagree with me? Go for it. But uh, Scipio 2, you're dead ass wrong, bro. Whoa, okay, that is a lot to unpack there. Bubak, first of all, mayo. How do, listen, I understand the criticism about there's no ne- recipe needed for the bacon, egg, and cheese with the may- with the mustard. I understand that I used the wrong terminology there, and you're right. I just we wanted got- to know what kind of mustard. Yeah, exactly. So we got the answer, yellow, and then you casually drop on us like as if it's a normal thing when clearly we were a little... Um, verklempt? No, I'm a little verklempt. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you a topic. Transitional Romanesque architecture was neither transitional nor Romanesque. Discuss. Yeah, yeah. we were a little verklempt about using mustard that then you casually drop on us mayo on an egg sandwich. Are you fucking crazy? I mean, you want to talk like BLT? Yeah, mayo that shit up. But an egg sandwich? Ah, I don't know, man. That's, I, mean, I, I don't know if I'm ready to try both. You know what I'm saying? Like in my head, I was mentally preparing myself like, all right, mustard, uh, maybe like some deli mustard, a little spice. Okay, okay, I could do that. But now two condiments, I I don't know, bro. And I feel like I can't isolate them now. It, I'm, uh, I'm in the quagmire. I do like though <laughs> that I am like flipping out, losing my mind about the, the idea of putting ma- a mayo on an egg sandwich when meanwhile, I am willing to like mix up cold pasta or shredded cabbage with mayo and eat that. I'm like, hey, now no, no, I'm just no. drawing don't, the line. Don't be so hard on yourself. We have standards here on breaking balls. That's true. And those are strong words that I happen to agree with, Bubak. Calling out Sifio too. This is now, I am now down for this battle of the ages, if Sifio will have it. <laughs> I mean, I obviously agree. You heard my answer last week. I do think that Gary gets undue not undo that he just gets unfair criticism and I'm not going to get into why I feel that way, but he's got this reputation now where like people think he's lazy, where that he doesn't work, which to me doesn't really make that much sense because he's a professional athlete. There's literally nobody that cannot work and get to that level. I mean, what was it? Michael Jordan, I think was the one who had the quote where, you know, there are a lot of people who have the talent necessary to play at these levels, but the only thing that holds them back is their work ethic. So there are a lot of guys who can get to a certain level with these sports and get to certain levels as far as their career, but then they can't get past that precipice because they're not working hard enough or whatever other things happen, but he managed to do it and he's still here and at a pretty young age too. He's been on the team now for four years and he's only like 27 or 28 years old. So the idea that he doesn't work hard is just, it's... It's nonsensical. There's no reason to think that besides you just think that he's not the kind of player that you wish he was. So you're just going to chalk it up to uh, his because he's not working hard enough. That's why he doesn't fit into my little mold. I mean, 
I, I agree with you, and I think he's a great hitter, but he is not the best catcher in the league. I, I think that's that's a bit of a stretch. Well, I think that it's the catcher is like the one position where defense is super important. So we're so used to saying that, like, oh, this guy's the best center fielder or this guy's the best left fielder in the league, but it's not really because of his defense. It's really because of his offense where the premium positions, shortstop center fielder and catcher are really, they're the best because they are the best defensively. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Gary's defense takes him out of that conversation for me. If it was just offense, yeah, fuck yeah, you got an argument there. You want to compare him to like JT Real Muto, for example, his defense versus Gary, like, come on, you can't say Gary's the best in the league when you have stuff like that going on. Yeah, um, I agree with that, but to Gary's credit, and like what Bubak was saying, Gary has gotten better defensively, but that's not saying much because he's gotten better than being like at the fucking bottom of the barrel. Right. <laughs> Bubak, thank you always for calling in. Oh, and also Bubak had our one text message this week just to point out that when Vasquez of the Red Sox said he tried to use the ring that he won in 2018 to like be like, Ugh, who cares if the Yankees totally mopped the floor with us? We have a ring and they don't. And it's like, all right, well, what? The guys on the team besides Gardner don't have a ring yet. Vasquez, are you fucking kidding me? Like, go look in the history books, buddy. 27 rings. <laughs> no comment. Bubak, thank you. And our next voicemail is from Emmy and Timmy. Hey, Em, it's M squared. You know I hate hearing my own voice, so I probably won't listen to the episode this week. Um, I'm just calling... It really has nothing to do with baseball. I was just horrified by all of the egg talk that was going on last week. I mean, if you're going to have scrambled eggs, you have to put cheese in the scrambled eggs to make them fluffy. Um, and whoever puts mustard on scrambled eggs is a monster. So I'm not down with that. Also, I have a special guest that wants to tell you something because he heard that you called one of his animals a dinosaur. So, Timmy, what would you like to say to Emily? That's awesome, Alpha. We hope you guys have a great day and say, go Yankees. Go Yankees. Emmy and Timmy, thank you so much for your call. For anyone who wasn't sure, that was Timmy saying to me, it's an elephant, asshole. <laughs> a very warranted comment. I saw a picture of him holding a what I thought was a dinosaur at his show and tell. And it was not a dinosaur. It was an elephant. And he corrected me. And he was right, too. As far as the cheese and the eggs, now I am down for cheese on top of eggs. I mean, that is a classic combo. Can't go wrong. Now, mixing the cheese into the, what is it like? Once you've beaten the eggs, you then put cheese in and then you mix, cook it in the I, pan. I think like shredded cheese. Yeah. Because what I've always done to make the scrambled eggs fluffy. Now, this is like a food talk show. What I've always done to make the scrambled eggs fluffy is adding like either a little bit a splash of milk or yeah. heavy cream, or even if you don't have that, you're trying to lose weight or whatever, just a little bit of water, yep. just to sort of like give it a little bit of fluff. But That's how I was taught. Now we have a lot of things to try, and I'm sorry, Emmy, but we are absolutely trying mustard on there. So if we're monsters, then so be it. Our next call is from Nick. So another day, another Yankee injury, right? When is it ever going to stop? And uh, I, I saw your tweet, so I'm glad you... Getting ready to fight everyone. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on uh, Tapis Jr. and the quote-unquote unwritten rules. But at some point, Yan Yankee Twitter just has to stop always blaming the medical staff or etc. Maybe these players are just soft, 
who do horrible workout routines or who overwork out. It can't always be everyone else. Everybody always wants to blame everyone else other than the players first. Blame Boone why the Yankees lost, not the guys who actually play the game. Blame the training staff. Blame Hal for not getting enough guys. Blame Cashman. But nobody ever wants to blame the players. And would you trade Aaron Judge? Thank you. Listen, last year, I absolutely 100% I was blaming training staff. This year, I feel things are different. Besides major injury, like what happened to Canely, where he tore his UCL and now he has to get Tommy John. The guys that are going on the 10-day, you know, Judge, Stanton, you have to assume, and not necessarily assume, but you have to keep in mind and just use it when you think about these things that this is a 60-game season. The Yankees are in their championship window now. They made all the trades and they did everything in the years past for now. Cole was the piece that they needed. They got him because now they're going to make their championship run. Is it worth keeping Judge in? In a 162-game season, does Judge go to the IL for that? No, he doesn't. He absolutely does not. And that's why he came out and said, I didn't need to go to the IL, but they're shutting these guys down because there's no reason to push it. This is a 60-game season. Why? Yeah, sure, they can win a title this year, but it's not the same. It's not. I'll be the first to say it, and I'm certainly not the first, and I'm not the last. It's not the same. I don't want to see Judge further, you know, exacerbate injury to win a title during a 60-game COVID season where not even not every team is even going to play 60 games. They have to go by win percentage because they're not going to be able to make up games. So that, I think, is, is part of it, and, and calling them soft, I think, is also putting too much on the players like the players aren't making all these decisions people are watching them like a hawk while they're playing so glaber comes up a little lame he can't then just hide an injury and pretend he he's okay and keep pushing through it everybody saw him limp a little bit so he's gonna come off the field and boone is gonna say all right you're done someone else is in so it's not even like they're like coach please uh, crying and wanting to come out of the game there's no real opportunity for them to hide unless it's something that isn't obvious on the field that they tweak a little something, but then when that happens, they don't say anything. They get hurt down the line because this is a grind. Playing this sport is it's repetitious. It's a grind. They eventually get hurt. It doesn't just go away on its own. And then everyone's like, oh, they're a dick for not saying anything. So they can't win. In this season, shut them down. Not worth it. I don't care if, if they never play another inning until 2021. I don't see how you can complain about Judge going on the IL because he's injury prone, isn't he? Like this has been an issue for him. So fucking keep him safe, you know, keep him off the field for a minute. Like, I don't know. I'm not a Yankee fan, so I guess I can't talk, but I, I can't see a problem with that. It's like, you know what, if he's if he's the kind of player where and not that I hope for this, but hey, he, he's likely to have an IL stint once a season. Right. I don't think that's unreasonable to say if he's going to do that IL stint, if he can do it while he's relatively healthy and just, hey, rest up precautionary and then he doesn't miss any time for the rest of the year. How smart does that look in retrospect? Everybody needs to calm down. Exactly. Out of the mouths of the Mets fan. And just one quick to, to judges being injury prone. Everyone should keep in mind that his longest stint on the IL was because he got hit by a pitch and broke his wrist. So that's sort of like a freak thing where it's not like, oh, this guy's got a strain or, or, or a sprain every single season. It's like he was hit with a fucking pitch on the, on the arm. So what was he going to do? Yeah, I don't follow them as closely, but he's developed kind of a reputation of being like made of glass, hasn't he? 
Yeah, which is I think unwarranted, but okay. whatever. That's fair. That's what I was going off of. So you're you know you know better than me in that case. And much to that end, no, I wouldn't trade Judge. I mean, <laughs> the Yankees, because that's the thing. Unless there's no reason to trade Judge, because it would have to be someone who can let the Yankees win now. Because like we were just mentioning, they're in yeah. their they're in their window right now. So it's not like oh trade Judge for some prospects. Why? And they he's need so to young, win now. Right. He's yeah. so good and he's so young. Why would you trade him? You'd be crazy. Exactly. Because who are you? You're just gonna end up trading him what straight up for someone who's kind of like him, but probably not as good. And for I mean, what? You know, <laughs> before the show, before we started recording, I was like making fun of MB. I'm like, oh, oh, there's no way you would trade him, making up all this nonsensical stuff. Like you get Trout and you get Tatis Jr. But no, on, on the real, you don't trade Judge. No fucking way. But it was you were like making fun of it. But he inadvertently <laughs> ended up making fun of people on Yankee Twitter who do these outlandish trades. Like, oh yeah, you mean the self-serving? Like, oh well, this doesn't benefit your team at all. But you, you want to do this? And the super overvaluing too. Like, oh, yeah. just trade Judge for uh, Justin Turner, Mookie Betts, and Cody Bellinger from the Dodgers. Who says no? <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Nick, thank you so much for always calling. We love your calls. All right, our next voicemail is from Sifio Two. His question of the week. All right. So, guys, that's Sifio Two question of the week coming in strong. Uh, looking at. Fernando Tatis Jr., obviously, I'm sure you guys talked about the 3-0 swing, Grand Slam and all that, and I'm definitely on the side of the non-unwritten rule thing. But it made me think about the young guys coming in the last couple of years. We had Tatis and Guerrero Jr. We had Bichette. We had Biggio. They literally had Vlad Guerrero Jr. going to the Hall of Fame after his uh, AAA um, season or half a season, whatever it was. And he's taken major steps back in his uh, stats as far as his first two seasons. I just haven't been overly impressed. What do you guys think? Is he even in the top five still? Um, is it is he even in the top three? Is he now the third guy on his own team with Bichot and Bichette? Uh, I know Bichette had a great second half last year. So I wonder what you guys think. Is uh, Vlad Jr. Uh, still on that surefire Hall of Fame route? Or... Do you guys think uh, the major leagues, he's got to adjust and figure it out? Talk to you guys later. Have a good week. Bye. I think, I mean, I'm not one for the the long shot, not that he's a long shot, but really the long distance, like, oh, this guy is going to be a Hall of Famer because that's part of the thing with baseball that the same reason we don't really get that psyched about the draft is because it takes so long for these number one picks and to get up to the to the show. And a lot of them, way more than any other sport, I, I don't have the numbers on that, but I'm willing to wager a lot of the top picks, they don't end up working out or they don't end up making it to the show, But they don't, or even if they do, they don't end up being like this highly touted player. And also because even if they do make it, not every first rounder is meant to be like a Mike Trout. Now, with that being said, I think that it's still too early to tell. You have to remember that he's still really young. He's only like 20 or 21. And much like we saw with a Bryce Harper, who's still been, he was underrated and still is, in my opinion, throughout when he first came up that he, you know, won that MVP early and all these things and he was hot out the gate and then to everyone's standards because they expected him to be like Barry Bonds juicing numbers that they felt like he cooled off. But he's still, he's only now getting into his prime. So you have guys that, unlike people like Judge who even came in a little young, but then a lot of guys, they don't come into the show until they're in their mid to late 20s. Guys like Harper, guys like, Vlad Guerrero Jr., they're coming into the show 
in the years that most other guys would still be down in the minors. So you don't even see them and they're and they're developing not before your eyes or developing like sort of under the cover of darkness, for lack of a better term, where Vlad Guerrero Jr., he's good enough to be with the Blue Jays because they got him so early. So they had no choice because they were they could only manipulate his time so much more. But he's still developing. I mean, he's still like probably eight years, almost a full decade from his prime. He hasn't even played a full season's worth of games yet. And we're asking these questions about him. Yeah. So I think, do I think it's too early to say that he's a bona fide Hall of Famer? Absolutely. Do I think it's too early to say that he hasn't lived up to to the expectations? Absolutely. Way too early. Talk to me in like eight years and we can revisit the conversation and see if he's lived up to the uh, hype that led him into the league. There's too many X factors to talk about anybody like that, that young. You know, I mean, you look at, as a Mets fan, I think immediately of Dwight Gooden. If there was ever a surefire, quote unquote, Hall of Famer, that was him. And life had other plans, you know, so you never know. I think it's a little ridiculous to have that conversation this early, even if it is someone as good as he is or as good as he was last year. As always, Steve, thank you so much for calling. We love your quest of the week. We look forward to it every week. And our final voicemail of the week from Michael, the food guy. It's Michael, the food guy. And I don't know what the actual fuck I just watched. We got swept by the rings. Paxton's arms falling off. Glaber's quad. What is going on? I don't even know. I just need answers. I don't know who to talk to. I figured I'd call the hotline. Do I get points for cursing? I guess we'll find out. Later, guys. First of all, Michael, yes, you do get points for cursing. Everyone gets points for cursing on on the breaking balls, especially on the hotline. And what is there to say? We, we spoke about the injuries on another call. We're just got to, you know what, take it day by day. The, they may be on the IL, but we the fans, we're day to day with this shit. As always, Michael, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you to all our callers and our texters. If anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun, give the Breaking Bulls hotline a call, 631-820-7377. Before we get into the meat of our show, I just wanted to mention that this past weekend, I had the privilege of joining... Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully on the Locked On MLB podcast. We had a great conversation about A-Rod. Surprise, surprise. Everyone wants to talk to me about A-Rod. I wonder why. And his legacy and how Yankee fans have viewed him, how they viewed him during his time with the Yankees and Jeter and Tori and all that wonderful stuff. And I got to record two episodes of one of his side projects, which is the Bull Durham Minute. And it's a pretty cool concept. He has been breaking down the movie Bull Durham, which is his favorite, minute to minute. So each week, he will just talk about one minute of the movie, and then we talk about the themes, and we talk about, we spin off and talk about other things. He and I did two minutes, so I'm going to be on next week with him, and I believe the week after. It was a lot of fun. Both of them can be found on iTunes, so you guys should check them out. Now, some people had mentioned it in our calls, and you guys knew that we were going to have to talk about it here on Breaking Balls. The Padres played the Rangers this week, and because the Rangers are fucking terrible, they were beating the shit out of them. I believe this was the first game of the series, three-game set. They were winning by six or seven runs at some point in the game. A, a new pitcher, I think he, he's either a rookie or he was a rookie last year. His name is Ian Gibault, G-I-B-A-U-T. I, I'm pronouncing it like as if it's the French pronunciation, but it could be Gibault. I'm not sure. He was pitching. Bases were loaded. Fernando Tatis Jr. was up, who had already hit a dinger earlier in the game. He gets him to a 3-0 count, and this is where the trouble started. 3-0 count, Tatis swings away and puts one into the seats. He hit a fucking grand slam. 
I guess this pitcher on the Rangers, he felt slighted because of the unwritten rules bullshit. And they even showed footage of the the Rangers manager, Chris Woodward, in the dugout. Like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, so that's how you're going to... Oh, okay. Like, literally nodding his head like, oh, all right. That's how you're going to play it. So the, Oh, no, you didn't. Exactly. That's what it was. It was absurd. So then Machado gets up next. And this pitcher throws the ball behind Machado's back. And it's like, dude, what the fuck was that? So, you know, there's a little bit of a hubbub, whatever. Game's over. Obviously, the Rangers lost in embarrassing fashion. It would have been embarrassing if that didn't happen, if they just let if they just let it just slide, if they let it slide, but they didn't. So it was even more embarrassing they lose. Now, the end of the game comes, of course, totally predictable. The Rangers coach or manager, rather, had something to say that, you know, it was Bush League for Tatis to swing on a 3-0 pitch that as if Tatis is in any position like he has to take for their sake. So he's upset, the pitcher's upset, but then the most fucked up part, the Padres manager also threw Tatis under the bus. His phenom, the best player on his team right now, he throws him under the bus and, you know, says like that they don't, you know, they don't do that there. They'll talk to him, whatever. Hosmer, that little bitch, did the same thing. He said to the Rangers dugout, oh, we'll talk to him. Don't worry, we'll talk to him. And it's like, shut the fuck up, Hosmer. I can't stand him. I don't know about you, John, but I can't stand him. I mean, he played for the Royals in 2015. Obviously, I can't stand him. Exactly. And like nothing really highlights how far away 2015 is than like Hosmer being back in the spotlight for this reason. Then I was like, wait, when was he relevant? <laughs> oh, yeah, 2015, five years ago. Shut the fuck up, bro. So it just got us thinking. And of course, this comes up every year because there's always some sort of bullshit in baseball where the other team has to, you know, they have to adhere to some fake rule book that they shouldn't swing on 3-0. They shouldn't do this. And listen, these rules... They're not unwritten in lower levels because they they have mercy rules, but of course they don't get employed until like the fifth inning of games or if it's early on, it'll be have to be some exorbitant lead by a team for them to end it in like the fourth inning. But that's because it's a low level. They're not there to just win and lose. They're there because kids need activities and kids. that's how kids learn how to be adults by doing different things like playing sports. So you're not going to beat a team of little leaguers, you're not going to beat their head in because the talent disparity is so huge at those levels, even in high school, even in college, where you could have in the same conference, the same league, a team that is just way better than the team that's at the bottom. So there's a mercy rule because it's not supposed to be not fun. It's supposed to be fun for kids, no matter how old they are, whether they're in high school or little league. But at this level, they're professionals. Why should Tatis, especially Tatis, who's playing for his fucking lunch, he is a new player. He was a rookie last year. He is not at the arbitration yet, but he's coming up in a few years and then he'll come up to free agency. Why should he not take an opportunity to swing the bat and get another home run, more RBI, all the other things that go into it to protect Ian, whatever his name is, to protect his feelings? And listen, if you can't fucking take that shit, don't throw that pitch. I'm sorry. You already yeah, had- make a better pitch. Thank you. It's not that hard. You had three opportunities and you fucking threw three balls in a row. That should be Tatis's problem. And he should just, you know what? Oh, he said, you know what? This is the unwritten rules. Let me just keep this bat on my shoulder while this fucking guy throws a meatball right over the center of the plate. And that idiot Tingler, the manager for the Padres, part of throwing Tatis under the bus was saying that he gave the take sign. Tatis says he didn't see it because 
I think Tingler's full of shit. I don't think he gave a take sign. I think that he assumed Tatis would Covered take. Covered his ass. 100%, John. He assumed Tatis would take because Tingler, just like Woodward, are these fucking old boomer types that think that, you know, the unwritten rules are the most important thing in sports and baseball players need to adhere to them. And it's just that's just the way it is. That's just how they do it. But Tatis said, nah, fuck that. I'm going to swing away because a six-run lead isn't that much. In Little League, sure. That could be the difference in a whole game. That's why they'll end the fucking game after five innings if a team is up by like five runs or more. At this level, have we never seen teams score that many runs? I mean, look at the Phillies. We just mentioned it earlier in the show. The Phillies were losing 4-2 to the Red Sox. And what happened the next inning? They scored fucking like eight runs to make the game 10-4. So Tatis shouldn't swing there. He should let the pitcher get a strike. So now the count is three and one. Now that pitcher comes back, you know, Tatis then fouls the next pitch off three and two. And then he hits a ball into and then he hits into a double play. He should have done that just for the pitcher. It's like, no, the pitcher should maybe be a little bit better. Or maybe it's time to spend some time down in the fucking triple A. Yeah, you know, I mean, I could not agree more. Um, So and I knew you would nail that one. So I just wanted to make some stray observations about it. One thing that gets kind of mixed up in this is almost like an implication that like that was an easy home run or like it was a give me. There's no such thing. It is not easy to hit a home run ever. It is always an impressive feat. So to say like, oh, he knew the ball was coming. It's like, all right, well, then the pitcher shouldn't have thrown that ball. Like, what do you want? You know, I really liked uh, Howie Rose, the Mets radio announcer, made a good point where he was like, okay, if it's so important, then eliminate 3-0 counts. If you throw three balls, make it three and one, make it three and two. You know, if the argument is, oh, it's the same thing. All right, then just get rid of it. Like write something down if it's that big a deal, you know? And I think also one thing I've observed is I think that there's a bit of an overlap between the people who are complaining about this. A lot of the same people are the people that are bitching about pace of play and the games take too long now and there's too many pitches between balls in play. So what, you, you want another one of those? You, you want a guaranteed minute of no action? Because let's be honest, it's what, 25, 30 seconds between pitches. So you're just lengthening the game. You want less action? Like, I, I, I don't get it. It's outdated. It's not the same game anymore. You made the best point, I think, which is that runs nowadays are scored at such a pace. It's normal for those kind of leads to evaporate. So what an idiot Tatis looks like if he takes that pitch, let's say, you know, grounds into a double, whatever happens, he doesn't make it happen. And then the Rangers stage some comeback and they wind up losing by four or five runs. How stupid does he look then for not swinging? It's not the same game where it's like, oh, I'm not pitching well. Give me a freebie. Fuck you. Exactly. He should just be like, you know, well, we lost. They came back and we lost, even though I had that perfect 3-0 pitch that I let go by. But at least, you know, I can go to sleep thinking that I have some honor and I let Ian Gabo, you know, feel good about himself for a second. And much to your end, what you were just saying about, you know, the same people that argue that he should have taken it are the same ones that argue about pace of play. They also, there is the Venn diagram between them and the people that will argue, you know, say someone has a winning attitude or, you know, these players are soft. That Venn diagram is also a circle. It's a circle, yeah. (laughs) So at what point is it, what do you want? Do you want the winning attitude or do you want people to have, you know, the other team's feelings in mind? And I think Kevin Kernan for Ball Nine, he wrote an article recently as he interviewed Doc Gooden, like you just brought up earlier. And Doc was sort of saying that an attitude in the 86 Mets, which I didn't comment that um, Keith Hernandez was the only holdout in the Mets booth the other night who, you know, he's a stodgy old guy now. So he's like, I would never swing on 3-0. <laughs> but um, Doc was saying that, you know, part of the mystique and part of the power of the 86 Mets was that we didn't give a fuck what anyone thought. 
that we didn't give a shit what our opponent thought yeah. about us. And I think that for the most part, that's still the un- that's still the belief in the league, and the and the fans sort of want their players to feel that way. But then they have these weird rules for the players too, where they like want them to think about their opponent's feelings, like oh, and also what is that about? Is Ian not a is Ian Gabo the pitcher for the Rangers? Is he not a grown ass man? Is he not a professional in this league? Can he not take losing? I mean, you have to assume that he's going to think that he's going to get hit and smacked around a little bit. I mean, he already was getting smacked around that inning. So lesson learned. Don't throw a 3-0 pitch that's right over the center of the plate that literally the hottest hitter in the league is going to fucking hit a country mile. And he did. I think that uh, what would really level this out is if you're expected to take a pitch on 3-0, why doesn't it work the other way? If the pitcher gets an 0-2 count on you, he has such a big advantage at that point, you should take a guaranteed ball, even it out a little bit, make it a longer at bat, you know? Really, really stretch out, explore the space. Explore the space. And you know, John, that is such a fucking great point, especially because it leads perfectly into the fact that that would never happen because pitchers are babies. If you've noticed that all the unwritten <laughs> rules are to protect pitchers' feelings, every single one of them, every single one. Don't swing on a 3-0 count, but... Like you just pointed out, the batter isn't going to get a fucking something like, okay, it's 0-2. Now this pitcher's going to do nice by me, and he knows that I'm feeling yeah. bad, so he's going to throw a ball into the dirt six feet in front of the plate. That's not happening. So all these, and you know, don't flip your bat. Don't show up the pitcher. But if the pitcher strikes me out in a big moment, he's able, he can like throw his arms back and scream and 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 do all the thing going to the dugout. There's no repercussion. That's totally cool. But yeah. anything against the pitchers, especially, now this is a, a pattern especially, apparently, the pitchers in the Texas Rangers organization. So let me tell you a little bit about my origin story as far as sharing my opinion on the internet is concerned. Oh, wait, hang on. Let me, I'm going to sit cross-legged on the floor here. It's story time. Let's bring it back to 2015. Back to the days where Eric Hosmer was a person that people cared about. Back to the days <laughs> where the Texas Rangers and the Blue Jays were playoff contenders the Mets, what? Playoff contenders? Sorry, and the Mets. Ahead. The Mets were in the playoffs too. It was a wild time, people. I'll shut up. So we'll go to the American League Divisional Series. It was the Blue Jays versus the Rangers. This is, of course, a series where it went to five games, back to Toronto, and Jose Batista hit that now historic, well, not historic, maybe historic for the Blue Jays, and Batista hit that monster three-run home run late in the innings off Sam Dyson of the Rangers, and it ended up being the nail in the Rangers' coffin and winning the game. He hit that bomb. He had that now now historic bat flip, which is, of course, my favorite of all time. And as baby pitchers are wont to do, Dyson, instead of just taking the ball and then just sort of shutting up about it, he went on a world-class tour of complaining about it and how Batista, oh, he disrespected the game and all this blah, 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 where it was just a parade of hurt feelings on his part. So when I saw this, and I was watching this game live, when I saw this, that reaction from Dyson on the field then and then later after the game, it so incensed me that I literally was like, I am getting the urge to write about this. So I started a blog on WordPress the next day at my office. I wrote it in Microsoft Word, this like, I don't know, page and a half essay 
And then I was like, I need to post this. The world needs to see this opinion. So I then posted it on WordPress. And then that ended up parlaying into a little writing gig for myself at Last Word on Sports because it was a pretty good article, if I do say so myself. And from there, I then started talking on Twitter and grew and grew my opinion talking about a baseball. And now here we are on Breaking Balls. So as much as I'm complaining about the apparent prerequisite to be a pitcher in the Texas Rangers organization, which is being a little fucking bitch. I have to think <laughs> because if not for the culture that you've created there, who knows if we'd be sitting here right now, John, recording breaking balls. So thank you, Texas Rangers. Please keep up your bitchiness as the years go on because it is providing some fucking fantastic content. I love that. Oh, speaking of fantastic content, if I could just make one more observation about this. I love, you want to call it karma or the baseball gods at work or whatever you want to call it. I love how all this controversy arises from this grand slam, right? And then what happens over the next two days? The baseball gods are like, oh, you're upset about that? Fuck you. Two more slams. Machado walks them off with the grand slam. I think there was another one in there. It's beautiful. You just love to see it. And the next game, uh, after all this is happening, this is all going on. Then the next game, that same pitcher, because he appealed his suspension. So, you know, when you're when they appeal, they can still play. Oh, right, right, right. Mach- not Machado. Tatis steals third on this pitcher. Like, that was the biggest <laughs> shit in the history yep. of baseball that I got to witness. It was amazing. It's like, you know what? Fuck everybody. Fuck all you old people and weird young people that want to be accepted by old people. So they accept right. all of these weird, like, ideals and stodgy shit. Let these let the kids play. Why do they think this saying started is because the game was getting stale and it was getting boring and all these rules made the game boring. Taking a 3-0 pitch to save the pitcher's feelings and not hit that grand slam. That's fucking boring. You know what's not boring? A grand slam. I don't care what the score is. The score could be 50 nothing. If that grand slam makes the score 54 nothing, that is still an exciting moment. So what do the fans want? Do you want boringness, which you complain about? Or do you want excitement? Do you want to put the ball in play? What do you want? Yeah, if it's so important, write it down. Make it official. Exactly. So watching the Padres has been great. This weekend, obviously, John and I, we both will be out of our favorite teams. We won't be able to watch them. So you bet your ass I'm going to be watching the Padres because a lot of exciting things happen basically every night, even if they lose. I mean, they haven't lost in a series. They swept those sad-ass Rangers. So I don't know about you, John, but I will certainly be having my eyes on those guys. I haven't picked which team I'm going to I'm going to follow. The A's have been a lot of fun. Rockies have been a lot of fun. So I'll find something to watch. And speaking of Tatis family home runs, if you were paying attention, you must have heard the home run call. It was back to 1999, April 23rd to be exact. Tatis Sr., who is needless to say, but I'll say it anyway, Tatis Jr.'s dad, hitting his second Grand Slam in the inning off of the Dodgers Chanho Park, which leads perfectly into our top three for this week. We decided to go a little negative on this just because it's a little bit more fun. John and I did our top three worst single game performances. And I don't know about you, John, but I had some fun looking this up. I had a, I had a surprising amount of fun looking this up. And I honestly, the challenging part was narrowing it down to three. There's a lot of bad performances out there. So why don't you kick it off? What was your number three? All right, I'd be happy to. So my number three is uh, Michael Taylor was playing center field for the Washington Nationals. This was June 22nd, 2016. Uh, He had a bad day. He went 0 for 5 at the plate with five strikeouts. 
And then in the field, he made an error in center field that allowed the Dodgers to plate both the tying and the winning run. So he contributed not at all. And then at the end of the game in a negative way, that's, that's a, that's a rough one. That is one thing I love about baseball and back to uh, our caller, Sam, her question is that even because the sport has such a huge sample size and there's such a margin for error because of the repetition, any player, your best players in the league can have like the shittiest day of all time. Yep. So my number three was actually this happened. We have a theme here. 2015 is apparently a theme that we didn't even intend on having, but it's here (laughs) nonetheless. On April 8th, my birthday in 2015, Brett Lowry of the A's, he had a very bad day. He went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, and that's pretty bad, you'd say, but it gets worse. Four strikeouts on 12 pitches. What that oh. yeah, what that means is that each at bat, he only saw three pitches, and each of them were strikes, and he was sitting down after the third strike on every single at bat. Oh, it's rough. And I saw like, I think I, I looked it up, someone tweeted when it happened, like the sequence, and it was only on like three different pitches. Like it was his first at bat was like slider, slider, slider. The next at bat was curveball, curveball, curveball. <laughs> then like fastball, slider, slider. It was pretty funny. Oh my God. All right. So uh, for my number two, Casper uh, Wells was playing right field for the Phillies. This was August 24th, 2013. So this game went into extra innings. So he had some more at bats to work with here but he didn't do anything with him. He went 0 for 7 with four strikeouts, right? 18th inning, it's still tied. Casper Wells gets called upon to pitch. He proceeds to give up five earned runs, right? And what was fun about this was this introduced me to a stat that I wasn't familiar with, WPA, win probability added, which is just, you know, a single player's impact on, you know, they calculate in a certain point of the game, the likelihood of a team winning, how much a single at-bat can affect that or, you know, a pitching performance can affect that. So he had negative 0.333 WPA at the plate and then negative 0.488 at the mound. So he almost brought down the, uh, the win probability by like 70, 80% by himself. That is a very, very bad day. Oh yeah. My number two was uh, a Yankee legend, but at this point he was on the Mets. This is Joe Torrey, the player on... July 21st, 1975. Now, this was towards the end of Torrey's career as a player. I think, actually, was this when he was a player manager? Wasn't he a player manager for the Mets? What year did you say? 75. Uh, It was either that or the year before. 74 sticks out in my mind for some reason, but that's offhand. Yeah, so maybe this this may be a little bit cheap shot since it was the end of his career, but it was a horrible day nonetheless. Torrey went 0 for 4 with four double plays. The man hit into four double plays. Which also implies that the guy in front of him got on base four times. Yeah, that guy's like, oh, this motherfucker again. Tori, just be the manager already, all right? Get the fuck out of the lineup. (laughs) All right, so number one for me. This actually takes that uh, WPA stat again, helps illustrate how rough this was. So Alfredo Alcives, I think I'm pronouncing that right. He was closing for the Red Sox, right? This is August 23rd, 2012. So he allows three runs in the top of the ninth, which blows the lead, right? Cody Ross bails him out in the bottom of the ninth, hits a tying home run. Now we got a tie game. Alcides goes back out for the top of the 10th, gives up two more runs. So all in all, he's credited with one innings worth of work. He gives up five runs, right? And because he had those two instances of, you know, he tanked the game once, they brought it back, and then he tanked it again. His WPA was actually over minus one. So it was 
minus 1.021 with those two uh, two innings combined. That is fucking awful. Now, before yeah. I get into my number one, which my number one will come as no surprise, it was the opening as well, but I'm going to get into it a little bit further, talk a little bit about Chan Ho Park himself. We just got an update from MLB at bat that the Padres just became the first team in MLB history to hit grand slams in four straight games after Eric they did it again. Eric Hosmer just hit another grand slam versus Texas. You were just slamming Hosmer two minutes ago. <laughs> was Hosmer listening? Does he have a bug in here that he was like, I'm going to fucking show that bitch right now. His ears must be ringing or something. And oh my God. You know what, Hosmer? I'm going to take a, a brief reprieve in thinking that you're a fucking douchebag by congratulating you and thanking you for shoving it right in Texas's face again. The fact that this is against Texas and they had the gall to like blame Tatis for the unwritten rules earlier when apparently their pitchers love giving up grand slams. It's a thing that they do. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> now, back to our top three. My number one was our opening, Chan Ho Park. Okay, first of all, he gave up two grand slams in the same inning to the same person. To Fernando Tatis Sr., Three guys got on. One of them got on because he hit one of the batters. So he had one hit by pitch. Then Tatis hits a grand slam that clears the bases. He then load, actually before he loaded the bases, then Eli Marrero, he gets up and he hits a solo home run. So that's the second home run in the inning. Chan Ho Park is still on the mound for some reason. I don't know if Davey Johnson fell asleep or if he got hit in the head with a foul ball and was uh, rendered unconscious. But Chan Ho Park stayed in this game. This was the top of the third inning. Then the bases get loaded again, and Tatis gets back up and hits another grand slam. Not until the second grand slam and the third home run in the inning was Davey Johnson like, all right, you know what? Maybe we should pull this guy. So that's when Park came out of the game. They brought someone else in who then only pitched to one batter and got the final out. So... In that inning, Chan Ho Park, he had the one hit by pitch. He had six hits, three home runs, two of them grand slams, and for the grand total of 11 runs given up in that one, not even oh, the full inning because he didn't finish my it. God. I know, dude. There are definitely, I'm sure there are much worse pitched innings in the history, but in the cursory look, because we obviously, we have our production meeting and then we're a few days later we have this. We don't dive super deep into it. So if anyone listening has a worse inning than Chan Ho Park saw on April 23rd, 1999, please call it in. That about wraps it up for this week. I want to thank all of our callers for calling in, leaving your voicemails. You guys are awesome. I want to thank my co-host, John, and our amazing producer and engineer, DJ Bingington, at D-J-B-I-N-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. You can find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod, or if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call, 631-820-7377. And we'll catch you guys next week. Mr. Mina on the floor, pretty boy, here I come. Pumps in the bump, make you want to hurt something.